Welcome back to Writers Get Animated. Today's podcast will be preceded by 27 minutes of Olaf saying things. Good afternoon. I am Olaf. See, nobody asked for that. Please let me finish, and I like warm hugs. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and snowmen learning the meaning of their existence. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're taking part in our personal holiday tradition of talking about Christmas specials. It's our third annual very special Christmas special Christmas special, where we talk about animated special episodes uh, or movies that for some reason, um, money, decide to add Christmas <laughs> to their mix. I feel like we owe the world a Hanukkah special next year. I think we do. Um, the main reason why we were concentrating on Christmas specials is they keep populating. Like they yeah. keep procreating these Christmas specials. There was a Mickey Mouse one last year. Uh, there's a new one this year. Let's um, always do Christmas. There's Whereas new Hanukkah, you have like eight crazy nights and Rabonica from Futurama. I'm sure there's more. Yeah, uh, but I don't know where they are. So that will be our research for next year. Um, this is our Christmas promise that we will talk about Hanukkah <laughs> <laughs> next year. We're a mixed family. It's fine. <laughs> so today we're going to discuss two um, Christmas Two Christmas things that happened <laughs> in the world. <laughs> 20 years apart. Right. So we were talking about first, the most recent um, thing to show up in our lives, Olaf's <laughs> Frozen Adventure. And we will also be discussing Beauty and the Beast, colon, The Enchanted Christmas. So that's, those are the two things we're discussing. And... They are cut from the same cloth in a lot of different ways, um, but they are very distinctly different. Um, one is slightly more beloved. The other one is kind of reviled for even <laughs> existing at all. Is one of them beloved? Like, do people remember our second topic at all? I don't think so, but I feel like if they watched the trailer, they would probably enjoy that more than having experienced the um yeah the, the unasked for olaf's frozen adventure man i was reading okay so for those of you who didn't know uh somehow maybe you did this thing um olaf's frozen adventure is an animated short that uh premiered before the movie coco so if you saw coco in theaters as you probably should have for your homework last week last week two weeks ago we're bi-weekly now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you watch Coco, uh, you probably saw Olaf's Frozen Adventure and wondered to yourself, like, why is this happening? And so Olaf's Frozen Adventure, there's, there's a long tradition of animated shorts in front of movies. I mean, it's happened. The sole reason I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids opening weekend was because there was Roger Rabbit in front of it. I mean, oh, yeah. Tummy Trouble was in front of it. That's the main reason why I bought the VHS of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids the first weekend of release, so I could own more Roger Rabbit. Like, that was the 
sole purpose of me seeing that movie. I did enjoy Rick Moranis. I mean, the world needs more Rick Moranis, um, to be honest. But there's there's always been this put an animated short to um, get people to see it. That's why I saw uh, Dick Tracy because Roller Coaster Rabbit was in front of it. And imagine how upset I was when Roller Coaster Rabbit was not on the DVD or I'm sorry, the VHS of Dick Tracy. So I was really upset, but because then you owned a VHS copy of Dick Tracy. No, I did not buy it. I, w- I, own- I had it in my hand and said, there's no mention of Roller Coaster Rabbit. They Either they forgot to put it on the box or it's not in here. And in either case, I'm putting this back on the shelf. <laughs> so probably probably good good reason. Good, good for me for avoiding that. Um, it also goes back to Disney doing things like Mickey Mouse's starring vehicle, The Prince and the Pauper, in front of Rescuers Down Under, which was... Uh, a 20 minute long animated quote short in front of rescuers down under now rescuers down under was a shorter film than coco by like 30 minutes at least (laughs) um so they had some time to fill as opposed to coco which was almost two hours long and then adding in a 21 minute or was it longer than 21 minutes it was a long I feel like it's 27, 24 to 27. Well, the thing about Olaf's Frozen Adventure was it started as a TV special for ABC Synergy, um, but John Lasseter thought it was too cinematic to show on people's TVs. He's like, no, 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 this should be shown in the theaters. And what did they have coming out at an appropriate release date um, which was uh, Coco. Now, the worst case scenario would have been <laughs> Olaf's Frozen Adventure on December 15th with showings of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Like oh, Dis- my God. Like, Disney could have chosen that. It's closer to Christmas. It's a Disney movie. That's already so a two-and-a-half-hour movie, though. <laughs> I know. I'm like, they, that was their other choice. It's either on Coco or it's on Star Wars The Last Jedi. It's like, or uh, it's on ABC at Christmas. I'm saying if they made the decision to put it in the theaters, they had two choices. Um, or third, release it on its own to theaters as its own thing. Mm, I could see them doing that. But and then here, here's, you, you, it's called Frozen 2. <laughs> like that's, that's 2019. I know. Um, honestly, like I'm not a fan of Frozen. I think that it's a bad movie that verges on okay Oh, at best. Yeah. Oh. I know. Some people are like Frozen. I don't care for Frozen really at all. Uh, I don't feel like Olaf's Frozen Adventure itself is terrible it actually might be better than the original frozen movie oh goodness which isn't saying much it's oh, man. i think the worst part about it is how long it is <laughs> yeah i i think if you look at it if it were released for its original intended purpose which is on tv with commercials about toys in between you know the story and you're sitting around with your family on a couch and you're pausing it now and then to go, you know, let the dog out and have your dinner and you're not paying much attention to it. I think it, it's perfect for that. I think as a continuous piece of narrative, 
I think it falls short, so to speak. I think it, 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 it could have been seven minutes long and been perfect and more effective, but I, I feel like most of it is filler. Yeah, it doesn't know what it wants to be. I completely agree. So uh, let's, yeah. let's talk about the concept of, I mean, I know why they created it. Why would someone create a holiday-themed special based on a wildly successful film franchise? Um, money and to keep the franchise going, right? That's about it. And people need things to watch around Christmas because... You know, that's that's well, what people want. I don't know. I think I think both of our subjects today they partly they fall into this bucket and they're they're ripe for the Christmasing because they already feature like their original counterparts feature um heavily snow related portion. So of course <laughs> Frozen Frozen is all snow. Yes. And in the original Beauty of the Beast you have this whole like winter segment that happens. Right, with the snowballs and everything. and Yeah, this is already snow stuff. And in fact, the Beauty and the Beast film we're going to talk about takes place, it's a mid-quotes, in that winter scene in the original movie. That's when it happens. So it's it's not just like, hmm, you know what? You know what's popular? Um, Lion King. What if we made a Lion King Christmas movie? <laughs> like, at least, to Disney's credit, they tried to find something that fit thematically somehow snow and christmas yeah snow and christmas obviously you can't have christmas without snow sorry new mexico i'm looking at you Chris. i, I feel like that's a direct slight against me <laughs> listen there was one year where i went to new mexico for christmas and it had seven inches of snow and wow. um the whole city shut down <laughs> of course it did and my wife's like where are the snow plows i'm like what snow plows? We don't own snow plows. <laughs> DC doesn't have snow plows. They rent them from Boston. Like, why do we need snow plows? If it, it's going to be gone tomorrow, <laughs> just shut down the city for one day. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Wait it out. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, I mean, so we know why they did it. Let's talk a little bit about what's the same about both of these. These are um, both stories that were complete and perfect without needing anything additional. Anything Um, Christmas. Anything Christmas. There's nothing Christmas that's necessary about the story. And usually, uh, we talked about this when we talked about Halloween. What makes a good Halloween episode or Halloween special is Halloween being appropriate and important to a something that has to do with the character mm-hmm. garfield as an example his halloween is important to him as a selfish cat who loves eating um so finding something specific about what is christmas in these worlds that is important to these characters um is a little bit forced I feel, but we'll, well talk through them. I, I feel like this is where Olaf's Frozen Adventure is successful. One of those rare instances. Um, because it <laughs> does, 
It builds on the original piece by saying, okay, the sisters, Anna and Elsa are together now. They're going to have their big annual like Christmas party that the parents used to do. Um, so let's talk about how they celebrate Christmas. And it references the fact that they were part whatever their people in the castle for so many years. So they don't have Christmas traditions. Like their family, but they haven't really done Christmas together. So it's exploring that relationship between the sisters. I, I shouldn't say that. It's nominally exploring that relationship between the sisters. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it says that's what the movie's about. <laughs> it's not about that at all. It's about Olaf trying to find a tradition. So, um, but it, yeah, that, that idea would have been better. Yeah, it, it does set off... It does set off the idea of here are two sisters, like you were saying, who had this shared traumatic experience of a childhood of being separated in the same home and not knowing how to be a family, especially at a time when families are the most family, which is the holidays. It's so family. (laughs) How family is it, Chris? It's so family. They, I don't know. I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a joke for that, <laughs> but they, they don't have that shared experience. And so Olaf in his naivete sets off to find traditions from other people in the town in the, I'm sorry, in the kingdom of Arendelle to bring back to Anna and Elsa so they can have Christmas traditions to share as a family. And um, that's, that's what it's about. It's about Olaf trying to fix the relationship of the two female characters and eventually doing it, but not in the way that he realized. I or, still stick by my original tongue twister. What is your original tongue twister? <laughs> this would be a better movie. Uh, Adina Menzel plays a princess of Arendelle who must ring a Yule bell. <laughs> Audience reaction, pure hell. Uh, yes audiences and I think a lot of the reason why people hate Olaf's Frozen Adventure because if you search for Olaf's Frozen Adventure you will find article upon article about how it is hated and what time to show up to Coco to actually see Coco rather than sitting through the Frozen short there's like showtime calculators out there in the world so I feel like I I knew it was going to be there, being the Disney fan that I am. I knew that it was going to be in front of Coco. I knew it was going to be longer. I didn't know it was going to be longer. I knew it was going to be a, a longer animated short. I didn't realize just how long it was going to be. Um, I enjoy the world of Frozen. I love the two sisters. Olaf... Um, doesn't quite make it to Jar Jar levels of hatred for me. I think he's, I think Josh Gad is just so honest and authentic in his performance of Olaf that Olaf doesn't cross over into annoying for me personally, Mm -hmm. because he seems sweet and like a friend that you want to, you know, hang out with every once in a while, but you don't want to live with. Yeah. But, um, He's like, he's like a talking puppy essentially, and yeah, he just can't shut up. Yeah, and if I think if most animals were voiced by Josh Gad, the world would be a better place. 
to be honest. You know, there's there's actually a song in Olaf's Frozen Adventure that I do kind of like, and I think it encompasses like Broadway musical feel that they're kind of going for, but also it's like so Olaf. It's um, it's the song that time of year. So Olaf is going door to door, and he is just word vomiting, and the song captures that. <clears throat> Happy, merry, holly, jolly season's greetings here. I it's just a whole bunch of Olaf word vomit at the beginning. <laughs> season's greeting, hello, how are you? And it's just flashing to different doors as he says things and turns it into song lyrics. And it's so Olaf, and it, it works. I like that. And it's a little bit over the top because it's a lot like the opening to Book of Mormon, which Josh Gad was in. So the hello segment where they're ringing door, all the Mormons are ringing doorbells. It's very Book of Mormon. Very, 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 very Book of Mormon. So, um, which is not child appropriate. So don't yeah, don't, listen, do that, don't, don't look it up with your kids. It's like Disney said, how do we monopolize this? <laughs> how can we take something that Josh Gad is already good at and um, like Olaf it? So, um, and to be honest, that song, that time of year... I feel should have been the whole thing. Yes. I think it could have been that and maybe a little bit of introduction at the beginning, a little bit at the end. But if that was the only thing that we got was, it's a new Frozen song. Great. I don't think we needed the song in the beginning about, hey, we're opening up the gates and all the people are coming over and look at the banquet. I did appreciate that they did a, a Frozen thing which is also a very Futurama thing, which is undercut something that they've built up to. Like, oh my gosh, we ring the Yule Bell. Everyone, come on in for our banquet. And everyone just goes home because they have other <laughs> stuff to do. Yeah, but that's this is like three or four different movies rolled into one. There's that one, and then there's Olaf trying to find a tradition, and then Olaf and Sven like going through the forest with like the things, and then they're looking for Olaf. Yeah. These adventures are very loosely tied together. Yes. Um, Olaf's frozen plot holes? I don't know. <laughs> Olaf's frozen, <laughs> frozen dramaturgical issues. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I really think that it could have been just that, that one song... And I know that Olaf's Frozen Adventure was created for one very specific purpose, and then it got repurposed to its detriment, I feel. To um, everyone's detriment. To everyone's. I mean, yeah, the, people in Mexico didn't know that it was even going to be in front of Coco. And, like, there was a whole uh, theater train chain that was apologizing for it. Like, we're sorry that we had this thing in front of Coco. <laughs> Well, it's, it's even just mispositioned in the movie. When you see Coco, like, the Disney logo flashes on screen, and then, like, Frozen is happening with no warning, like, today's feature will be preceded by a very long short. You're in the right movie. <laughs> it's just a whole bunch of Frozen. And then, to make it even worse, after the Frozen short, it was like a 10-second clip, a live-action clip of the the heads of the Coco movie saying, thank you for coming to Coco. Like, if that were before Frozen, you'd know you're in the right movie, at least. 
Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about we so we said that Christmas is integral because of the thematic ideas of Frozen being about two sisters learning how to be sisters now that they're reunited. The thing that I liked about this, again, having expected that it was happening, and my son Jack, I think, preferred um, Olaf's Frozen Adventure to Coco in some ways. Wait, what? Coco was slightly traumatic. He cried a lot. Everything's traumatic for Jack. I know. Um, So he he had a lot of it. He spent a lot of it in um, his mother's lap. I, I offered my lap, but uh, a father's lap is not as um, safe as mm. the mother's lap for for a child. Uh, that's just something I have to learn uh, time and time again. I never learned that lesson that I'm just not as... You'll be spurned. <sighs> oh, well. Anyway, uh, so we talked about two sisters learning how to be a family again through what's always connected them. And in some way it was a retcon of trying to explain why Olaf exists in the first place in the movie of frozen. Yeah. Ish. Because I mean, in, in one way, um, Elsa's magic is slightly dramaturgically confusing. She can turn everything to ice, but she can also bring things to life, question mark. Um, but Olaf is the thing that connects the sisters, and it's the thing that they learn that they constantly had like, Hey, remember that one time when we made a snowman and then I accidentally cursed you and we had to go to those trolls. Oh wait, you don't remember that part, but you remember the good parts because the trolls removed that memory. So they remember that they made the snowman Olaf together, but not anything about the traumatic event. So, See, you recounting the plot of Frozen just makes you remember like how confusing and bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good that Frozen had. Many people have put their money where their mouth is on that, and I think the world has spoken, and I'm wrong. But I still believe it. <laughs> I, I do think, I will say this, I will do think that Tangled is a better movie, Mm-hmm. But I think Frozen had was very important in its own way for a lot of different reasons, and as imperfect as it is. But I think this short forgets what Frozen... It, rem, it remembers enough about what Frozen was about to continue the story and tell us a sequel, remembering everything that was done at the end of Frozen. So it's like, if we were to take that yes, Frozen happened and we, we don't ignore anything and we actually show, hey, these two sisters really didn't have a history together and we go through the reality of that. It does at least take the given circumstances at the end of Frozen to jump off 
and create something. They don't ignore anything that happened. Um, but it does forget to do that authentically mm-hmm. is the problem. It's like at various points, people have written various concepts for like frozen songs and they wanted to somehow cram them all in here. Yeah. Cause it's got a lot of songs for even 27 minutes. It's like five or six songs. Yeah. Um, there's one that feels like a song and then there's several others that feel like, I don't know what they are. Musical moments. Yeah. Yeah. They don't feel like songs. They don't feel like they're adding anything. There's not a character expressing something important in them. It's just like, we could do dialogue, but since we're frozen, we're going to sing it. So let's contrast that with the music of Beauty and the Beast, Bell's Enchanted Christmas. Is it Bell's Enchanted Christmas or is it The Enchanted Christmas? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so... <sighs> <laughs> the Enchanted Christmas? I don't know. I thought it was The the Enchanted Christmas. We'll, we'll I'll look see. it up while you talk. <laughs> so this is... I thought it was an earlier direct-to-video sequel, but apparently it's a later direct-to-video sequel. Um, it's the it's not the first, it's the fourth Disney direct-to-video sequel after Aladdin, The Return of Jafar, Aladdin, The King of Thieves, um, and some Pooh movie. Winnie the Pooh movie. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. I feel like that's emoji too. Emoji you know movie Pooh? Is like Pooh. Winnie or Billingham? Winnie. So uh, it's the fourth <laughs> direct-to-video sequel. Um, and it starts off... <laughs> it starts off seeming as if it's going to be a continuation of the story. And then it fools you and just goes back <laughs> and tells you, no, no, it's actually a mid-quel. It's not a sequel. Let's spend our entire movie retelling this event that happened that no one can remember clearly, and Chip doesn't remember at all, even though he was present for all of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so problematic. The, what happened? And You saved Christmas? Like, Chip, this was like a year ago. You're not that young. Now, to be fair, turning into a teacup and turning back into a human... We're not exactly sure what happens to human physiology when that sort of transformation happens. So it is altogether possible that some of his memories may have been affected in that transformation. We don't really know. It could be a lot like quantum leaping into yourself and your brain gets Swiss cheese. So some things are understood and some things aren't because there's not a lot of room in a teacup to hold the human brain. You're trying real hard. Let's get back to the music. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, it's And also it starts off with traditional Christmas carols. That's where we start. Yeah, there's Christmas carols. What's... Um, this is the one that's like very 90s that I hate. That's basically the entire movie. As long as there's Christmas... And I've totally forgot that that was part of it. I, that song started in my head before it started in the movie. 
I was like, that can't be from that. I think that's a Celine Dion song. I think it's like, I think it's like a nineties Christmas song. Is it? Which I don't, it, this is what it feels like. It feels like a song that was written to be a Christmas song. And somebody at Disney's like, you know what? We should use that in a movie. Maybe we can make a Christmas movie out of Beauty and the Beast somehow. I mean, it like, like I said, there's a whole winter scene. It kind of fits in there. Although they really, um, they really ram it down your throat. Because like the whole movie is a retcon of like multiple Beauty and the Beast things. Like, the Beast hates Christmas. Why? Because uh, you know that part about turning away the hag who turned out to be a witch? That was on Christmas. That was Christmas. That was totally Christmas. Yeah. That Again, trying to make Christmas central to the plot, you know, since it's a Christmas special and it has to make Christmas important. I, I did write that. I was like, well, why does he hate Christmas so much? And then I wrote, ah, retcon. Yes. Surprise! And in some ways, at least it motivates a reason for Christmas to be so central to the story. Um, We also get a really bad song. Which one? I know, where Belle is creating a Christmas present for the Beast, and she's singing about stories and creating stories. It's a flash of every other Disney Renaissance movie. Yeah, and I was like... (laughs) <laughs> the note that I wrote for that is basically Bell wants to create reading rainbow for the beast. Like, like basically it's the theme song to Bell teaches <laughs> the beast to be literate. Like that's, that's what this yeah. is. There's that one. There's the Cogsworth Lumiere one at the end that feels like it was just cut from the first movie for time. And then they almost cut it from this movie for time and they should have, and then there's the Oregon Voldemort song. Okay, you know what? I'm going to stand by Tim Curry singing. Not first sassy Tim Curry singing. The halls with the house of holly. The real Tim Curry villain song. The quickest way to break your heart, make you depressed. And it's the antithesis of the entire movie, which is, I think it works. It's Tim Curry. Like, there's lots of good things here. He looks like a reboot reject, but you know what? He sounds good. It's don't fall in love is this whole thing. It's, it's telling the audience, hey, you know how the cure to everything is for the beast to fall in love? Let's have Tim Curry sing a song that's just literally called Don't Fall in Love. Now, the thing that I like about the song, um, besides the fact that it doesn't work, um, I, the only thing that works about it is Tim Curry singing an anti-love song. That's the only thing that works about it. I don't think it works plot-wise. No, not at all. It happens way too late. And I think the sentiment is wrong. I think um, don't fall in love. It should be you don't need her or let her go. Let her go. Let her go. Let her go. Like forget her should be like it should be about forget about her instead of don't fall in love. The only thing better than Tim Curry is this evil organ is if they remade it in a live-action remake for the Beauty and the Beast sequel with CeeLo Green as the organ with Forget Her. Well, they, they I think 
essentially the character was in the reboot. It was just um, he would, didn't have the same name, and he was played by Stanley Tucci. Wait, okay, I haven't seen the reboot yet. Are you serious? Well, they put the evil organ in there. Well, he wasn't an evil organ. He was the maestro. Essentially, he was. He turns into a harpsichord. What? Yeah, yeah, he's there. He's in there, but not as Maestro Forte, but he's in there. That's so weird. I know. Why would you reboot Tim Curry? Just get Tim Curry. Like they're having James Earl Jones play Mufasa again in the. Well, they the, can't because Lion King reboot. Tim Tim Curry is can't walk right now, so he can talk, can't he? Yeah, but you can't have him wheeled around in the live action movie. They made him a harpsichord. Okay, listen. <laughs> I'm going back to my thing. The the in order for that song to work where it was, it's not about don't fall in love. It's about forget that girl. Essentially, as yeah. we said, forget her. But the evil cupids in the song were the, fun. Those don't work. Were fun if they were something else. Is what I was about to yeah. say. They don't work. They are great. They're well animated, but they are so wrong. I feel like this movie also tips its evil lime green color way too early. <laughs> You're right. Everything Forte is lime green. Um, but I am I am interested in Forte as a character who is furniture who wants to remain furniture. Which is interesting. It's like, does does he really want to stay bolted to the wall rather than to be human again? And I guess, I guess there's this feeling of he hated my music before when he was quote unquote happy because I don't think Prince, I think his name is Adam, um, was ever happy before he was a beast. Um, but now that he is a beast and he's even more depressed, now the dark melodies of the, the unmerry melodies of <laughs> of maestro forte uh are just really balm for his soul and forte can feel important even though he was not important to be in the original film yeah and it so. does it expands in the world in an interesting way um like I, I see where they started and I could see this having the possibility of almost being a good movie. Um, and it just never quite comes together. I think Forte is the only new character who not even needs to be in the beauty and the beast world, but in this movie. Yes. I, I don't know what Fife adds. Angelique does literally nothing. She's not important at, at all. all to the plot to nothing. Angelique does literally nothing in this movie. She Angelique is the castle designer, the interior decorator. Castle decorator, what is she? Who gets turned into a Christmas ornament, I guess? Yes. And gets locked away in some attic room. So not only is she transformed into an inanimate object, she has to live and be banished upstairs away from everybody else. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, I mean, bum. That's, that's my nightmare too, being trapped as a Christmas ornament forever. Like, I feel you. 
Yeah. <laughs> Everything about this I hate. I think I don't know. It She was not motivated by anything because everyone else was able to decorate without her. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like towards the end she's like hopping around the table like, "Oh, okay." And you're like, "Okay, Angelique did something." And she goes, "Wow, and they did all this without my help. Like, why are you here? What are you doing?" <laughs> And it's obvious she didn't have the only reason why she was banished was because she was the person who decorated the castle for Christmas. Like she had no personal stakes with the beast at all. There's nothing that she did, you know, if she was the one who was like, oh, that woman's rags clash, get rid of her, your highness. Mm -hmm. Like if she was... Somebody who is like, kick that woman out of here. Yeah, that would that, have been a, that, that would have been at least motivating as a character, if not like wrong, because now she's the whole reason why the beast kicked the old woman out. But she has I, no purpose to exist. But for as little purpose as she has, there's the other new character who we haven't talked about, who serves even less purpose. Oh, a character goodness. whose name is just Axe. And is for some reason a New York Jew in the Beast's castle. Yes. He... Uh, Do you want a saw? I don't want to put you out, but why not a saw? I like it. it could it, it's so wrong that when he's going on about well, I guess you don't get headaches. You must be lucky. Like. I, I don't understand why he existed. I, I, I wrote down as my note, it was like, a Jewish axe? So is he a Jew with an axe to grind? I'm sorry. I'll get a saw. No, that's fine. I don't want I should put you out. All right. You have some oil? I just thought a little massage. But if it's no, it's no. Go on. What are you waiting for? Knock yourself out. You never get headaches, I guess. Lucky you. Really? I can get a saw. Who wants a saw? I said, go ahead with the whacking and the hitting. Who's stopping you? <laughs> like, that's what I wrote in that voice. That's how I made the note. That's. I feel like he was added purely so that this one point... Not even any character on screen says this. It's like a pan up over Christmas trees. And you hear Jeff Bennett as Axe saying like, Happy Hanukkah! Like, like they added him just so they could say Happy Hanukkah at some point. You know. Not to, even on screen. To be, it was the 90s. To be inclusive. You know, that's that's 90s that, inclusive. That was 90s inclusive. 90s inclusive was all about New York Jews. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But do they need to be in rural like Renaissance France? I don't know. The other questions that I had was, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of it was trying to retcon it to make it work, to make it important. And it worked, <laughs> but not, I feel like it was too long. It, it takes place. All of the action of the film takes place Christmas Eve day, and then it goes into Christmas. So 
it feels like a lot happened in that one day. And there's a lot that happens at night. No one gets any sleep. Yeah. They, it's midnight and suddenly it's Christmas day and people are asking about presents and Belle ends up in a dungeon and she almost dies getting a Christmas tree. I'm like, wait, this again? She left again? And, you know. The whole Christmas tree thing, too. Like, they cut to, like, look at these wolves descending through the forest and they never come back. Yeah. There are wolves. No, just kidding. We're not going to talk about them ever again. Yeah, that was the la- that was the first movie. We don't want to confuse you thinking that that was this part where she got him a Christmas tree. This was another. Or maybe time. they were trying to do that. Ah, uh, the wolves are still around. And and Fife as a character. Uh, I mean the '90s characters. There's always the big villain. And then there's the little villain with a heart of gold that gets conned by the big villain to be bad and then ends up turning on the boss and then is redeemed. So it sets up, there's that. That's a trope that's always there. The the sidekick who becomes redeemed. Um, I mean, it happens in, basically, that's what Return of the the Jafar... (laughs) Return of the Jafar. <laughs> Getting a little excited for Star Wars there? I, I am. The last Jafar. Um, Obviously, we're recording this before Star Wars. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Aladdin episode two, Return of the Jafar. Um, I feel like. That's all that Return of Jafar was, was turning the sidekick character and redeeming the sidekick character. So that's always this trope that exists is redeeming that, that sidekick. And there's, it, it was just so, it feels so false now, looking back at that as a trope. It just feels so wrong to have the sidekick character be the one who's conned into doing everything. And it makes sense because the organ is bolted to the wall you know well, that that doesn't make sense like why is he bolted to the wall why don't they unbolt him it's not like he was created bolted to the wall who bolted him to the wall no organs you know it's bolted to the wall because of the vibrations and not wanting it to tip over it's and yet a, the wardrobe isn't where's the wardrobe in this movie the armoire oh no i don't know but she i i felt a gaping hole where she should be i feel like she she's just um I feel like they tried to have Chip serve the purpose that the armoire did in the original film. <laughs> the sidekick? Oh, yeah, like, sidekicks. like... I mean, uh, yeah, it's like, sidekicks, the movie! <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's basically Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> okay, well, we've really ragged on this. There's lots <laughs> of reasons to rag. Um, my biggest dramaturgical issue is, why is there a doggy door on the door to the dungeon? <laughs> Why has no one escaped through there? That's just open. Why do you need a doggy door on your door to the dungeon? That's the, the biggest problem that I have with this entire movie. It's but, not It's not a doggy door. <laughs> it's a doggy door. It's not a doggy door. It's where you put the food to your prisoner. No, because that, that's a slat in that locks. This is a hinged at the top swinging door <laughs> that clearly it's for lock. food it's for food it's not that, for food it's for food it's a doggy door no it's not a doggy door it's for food 
It's a poorly designed food non-slat door. (laughs) It's a doggy door. But what what in Beauty and the Beast colon the Enchanted Christmas works for you? What is not bad? Uh, Tim Curry? Yeah, Tim Curry. Okay. We got Uh, Tim Curry. Um... I feel like I don't I don't know. Um I've I I think if you were able to cut out a hundred minutes of this hundred and ten minute long movie, <laughs> I think if you if you were left with ten minutes you would be able to have something there that wasn't there before, which is a good movie. I think there's something there that wasn't there before. <laughs> Thank you for it. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think it's, it's just because it got so long and it tried to make the villain dangerous and it tried to do so many things like the fact that the organ shoots out green music notes as its attack defense, it feels yeah. it feels too magical for this world of living inanimate objects. I'm like, yeah. I'm like that's too far, you know. The rules are gone now. Yeah, we're, everything's off base. And the, the fact that the beast straight up kills him feels a little yeah. bit bad. Tim Curry's dead. Yeah, he kills the organ. I hope that when everyone reverted, there was just like this rotting corpse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, he was here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Forte. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is the broom still alive? Can somebody like uh, (laughs) clean that up? Uh, He's been there for a year because he was too heavy to uh, clean. Um, But so does nothing else in this movie work for you? I feel like no. I, I don't know if anything does. I I always liked Belle. <laughs> Not necessarily in this movie, but you like Belle. I like Belle as a character. I do appreciate the present that she tried to give the beast, which is literacy. And, a, and a f- <laughs> her, her two gifts to the beast are literacy and psychologically understanding what his story really is about. See, that's so here's what works for me about this movie is there's one exchange between the beast and the bell that I, I would like to play now. Beast and the bell? Beast and the bell. Beast and the bell, deal with it. I'm playing it now. So here the beast realizes that um, I think this is the empathy switch because he's talking about how he's a prisoner and. Bell doesn't understand. Obviously, right. the thing here being that Bell is his prisoner. <laughs> yes. How can you be so selfish? You cannot possibly understand. You have no idea what it's like to lose everything, to be trapped in your own castle, to be a, a, a prisoner. The only one holding us prisoner here is you. She is a literal prisoner, and he is a prisoner in himself. 
Yes, yeah, and it's... And I think that that's something that was missing from the first movie. For me. I, I shouldn't say missing. Not necessarily missing, it's not like I, I wanted it to be there, but it's something that is there in the first movie and is made explicit here in the second movie, which adds... It adds to the overall story. It's not just about him falling in love. It's about him empathizing and seeing what he's done. Yeah. It's not just he can have fun sometimes with Belle and that changes his heart. It's he realizes what empathy is. Mm. I can see that. It. The, what's interesting is that moment felt out of place because it was the thing that was most... <laughs> Right. Because it's too good for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Not s- now, the animation is great. You know, mm. uh, hang on. Uh, can you let me finish? Was great. If we're talking about direct to video sequels, um, it felt a little, uh. it felt a little bouncier and weirder in t- at times. Um, Angelique looks like she's out of the Brave Little Toaster. I know. I Angelique, I, I, <laughs> She was, he was shiny eyelids for some reason. And a lot of Lumiere animation feels really wrong, especially in the beginning when he's a human. What, what Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas says is, these characters are only interesting when they're furniture. <laughs> Which is why Tim Curry wants to say furniture so much, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's the message that I got. Like, tell us the story about, remember when we were interesting characters? <laughs> And we were basically. And you were there, and you were there, and you were there. <laughs> that's that's the message that I got. We're not interested anymore because we're well adjusted and happy, and also we're flesh. <laughs> it's a good name for a band, and also we're flesh. <laughs> Although speaking of not flesh, the other thing that kind of worked for me in this movie. The gratuitous wet beast hair flip when he comes out of the water. Not really. I'm just kidding. That doesn't work for me. (laughs) But I felt like that set a precedent for like the weird RTS feeling later in Lion King 2 with like the make out lions. Yeah. I mean, like direct to video does not know where the line is. (laughs) I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I did appreciate the reveal at the end when they wanted somebody to play Christmas music and he's like, Maestro, and you see that it's Fife, you know. But I like that character moment, but he hasn't been good at music the rest of the movie, and now he's suddenly good at music? No, it's not that he wasn't good at music. He wasn't good at being, you know... Um, second fiddle to a evil organ which also doesn't work dramaturgically if you're gonna call him second fiddle just make him a second fiddle isn't that more interesting dramaturgically if you were a literal if you're transformed into a second fiddle show me a fiddle with the number two on it like make him a second fiddle he doesn't need to be i don't know what he is a recorder he's a piccolo or a fife i guess it makes sense fine okay so he's that but Make him a second fiddle. (laughs) 
this movie is not above bad puns. Like earlier, it has Cogsworth saying, "Don't wine, comma glasses." Yeah, the wine glass. That was. I made a note of that, and I wrote wine glasses. That's all I wrote because it was like, yeah, <laughs> that was a thing that happened. <laughs> it's like wine glasses. I guess if you're gonna have a movie with like <laughs> with a Jewish axe. You may as well also put in wine glasses. Aye, the glasses. I mean, also, the fact that they had the, the pun about bringing down the house foreshadowed that, look, if I play loud enough as this organ, I could probably bring the house down if you go into, like, Tim Curry speak. I don't, I, yeah, yeah, mm. I don't know, <laughs> none of that makes sense to me. Well, they can't fall in love if they're dead. <laughs> I was like, that's true. <laughs> Thanks, Tim Curry, for this life lesson. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Although... As we learned in Coco in last episode, you can fall in love if you're dead. Or re-fall in love again. Refall? Refall. Fall in love all over again is what I meant there to go. say. Okay. Oh, Eve. Oi, Gavalt! Make a Christmas movie, but don't reference Hanukkah, baby. That's fine. <laughs> Because even Olaf's Frozen Adventure had a Hanukkah reference. It did, but it, it, that's the theme this week. It's it's subtle, oblique references to Hanukkah that don't need to be there, and instead we should just embrace Hanukkah. To be fair, Olaf's Frozen Adventure also did Winter Solstice and everything, and it's like, you know, I think we could commercialize and appropriate almost everything, <laughs> except Ramadan when it falls in December. Yeah, except except for that. Candy canes. Candy canes are very in now. Oh, Olaf. <laughs> Chris, I know I know both these were torturous for you, but did you have a favorite thing? I really enjoyed Olaf's Frozen Adventure. I know my conversation about it uh, seems like I didn't. Um, Jack's favorite I, thing was the fruitcake. Uh, of course. Every kid's favorite joke before they see it again and again and again and again and again. Like, and again that and went again right through me. Oh, Jack, why? <laughs> You're just buying into it, Jack. Um, my favorite thing is probably the, the thing that should have been the end of the film, which is the sweater segment in Olaf's Frozen Adventure where they go on and he tells the story of what he's doing and his reasoning of why, and he's going to bring the sisters together and it's, you know, they're, they're going to have traditions and they're going to be together. And it's told as if he were um, a knit sweater. So mm -hmm. it's animated like stitching on a sweater, like uh, the ugly sweater phenomenon. Um, and it's really well done. And it looks like, real yarn and it's the design of it's really terrific um and there's a video which we can share with our show notes 
about how they did it. And, you know, they used a grid and then they used this and then they turned it into yarn. And it was really well done. And it was creative in a way that um, made the rest of it seem boring and pale by comparison. Yeah. But what about uh, <laughs> what about for yeah. you? What was your favorite thing? Uh, mine was from Beauty and the Beast. I thought it was a fun, like, undercut moment. Um, so Lumiere goes up to the, the table in the Beast room. Oh, it's for you, Master. So, you have a present. It is from a girl. And the Beast turns around and says, Mrs. Mrs. Potts? <laughs> I like okay, Beast. That is your only other choice for a girl in this movie. You're not. You're not wrong. <laughs> that works. Uh, so that that I just felt tickled all my my humor bones. Yeah, that it was nice to have some humor that was based in character as opposed to a character meant to be the humor, such as the axe. So it's just axe. Well, should we talk, now that we've talked through this, should we talk about homework time? Let's. For next time, in the spirit of Christmas, we're going to be talking... <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> we're going to be talking, in the spirit of Christmas, about sexual harassment. <laughs> so... Obviously, use your judgment if you are a parent listening to this episode. Um, maybe the next one you might want to skip for your kids. We're going to be getting into some more serious stuff. Nothing like over or gross or explicit or anything like that, but just some harder subjects to tackle. Mm -hmm. But we're going to talk about how that's been handled in animation and has evolved over the years. From Pepe Le Pew all the way up to... Um, how Bojack Horseman has thinly veiled things before they happened. <laughs> so for next time, <clears throat> think about classic um, animation where there's sexual harassment, Pepe Le Pew, um, the Animaniacs with Hello Nurse, uh, Red Hot Riding Hood. Uh, but we're also going to specifically talk about uh, Bojack Horseman, Hank After Dark, Season 2, Episode 7, and uh, Steven Universe Alone Together, Season 1, Episode 37. Awesome. As always, we want to say thank you and Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah to um, Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer, and also Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Thank you so much, Jacob. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated, and you can tweet all sorts of thoughts at us. In fact, we'd love it if you wished us a Happy Hanukkah to make up for the lack of Happy Hanukkah in the world. There should be more. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG animated. Uh, and you can find all of our show notes on our Tumblr, writers get animated.tumblr.com. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. I suppose. And it was nothing could have been better unless it were Hanukkah. Why not? Yeah, now we're Zoidberging. Now we're Zoidberging. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>